This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Well, good morning, good morning. Hopefully the amount of time you've taken to talk to the person next to you means that the first week of 2023 was good. Anybody? Was it good? Pretty good. All right. Well, um, it was pretty good for me too. Hopefully your New Year's resolutions are lasting. Anybody like put resolutions forward and you are sticking with them? Anyone failing their New Year's resolutions? Like one person succeeding. So I mean the rest are failing. All right. So we'll, we'll pray for all of us today. No, it's funny this week we're in the middle of fast um, and we'll talk about that in a second. It was in the announcements, but I was sitting watching TV and was reading um, and uh, some commercial came on, and I don't even remember fully what it was. I think it was like Papa John's or something. You might have seen it. It was like these like bite, bread bites of some sorts, like Oreo bites and all these things. They don't even look that good, but like when you're fasting, like they look great. And the whole commercial was something like New Year, New You. And then like, Shh, don't worry, we won't tell anybody if you eat these. Like, and I'm like, what is this temptation? Was this what like it was like for Jesus in the wilderness? Like, come on, when Jesus, like Satan's like, come on, eat the bread. Like, I don't know, but I just get really frustrated that I'm like trying to start the New Year's off strong, and then that stuff pops on the television. I don't know about you, but anyway, with that being said, we're going to jump in the message in just a second, but I want to bring a couple things to your attention. They were in the announcements, but I want to put just a little bit extra note on them. The first one is that we are in day seven of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. This is an annual thing that we do. Yeah, I like that. Hopefully you're participating. If you're not, it's still not too late to join. That can be food. It can be coffee. It could be um, social media. It could be anything. And I really honestly think sometimes um, the religious side of us can well up and we want to try to perform super well, but I think God listens to any obedience. So if you just take a moment and go, this is something that like I could set aside for the next 14 days as we finish off. Is that 14 days? Yeah, 14 days as we finish off this fast. Do that. And this is something we do annually, annually because we honestly believe that as we make room, like we sang about today, we make room in our life, God can do something amazing. And I was reminded this week, I think it's Daniel chapter 10, and there's a point where we actually kind of get the Daniel fast from this guy named Daniel, and he sets, a, sets aside what the scripture says is pleasurable food. He sets aside pleasurable food, and then God shows up in his life and speaks to Daniel. And he says, Daniel, my beloved, like he, he's talking to him. And, he, and in a way, it's almost going like, as I set aside something pleasurable, I get pleasurable to God. It's not like an act of like salvation. It's just going, God, like I'm humbling myself before you so you can do something. And so I'd encourage you to participate with this. Um, there's a great handout, I think, in the lobby still. Um, with some great resources you can look to. Um, ask our pastoral staff. We'd love for you to participate. With that being said, too, if you work in the South Salem area and you would like to come to prayer on, on Tuesday through Friday from 12 to 1, and I know sometimes your lunch is shorter than that or it's really small, just come for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Just walk in. There's music playing. It's not like you're going to have to pray in front of everybody. You just go sit by yourself and you take a few moments with God. I'd really encourage you to do that. It's so powerful. Our staff's been doing it, so you'll see us there. But it's an amazing opportunity. Every day I'm like, I got a bunch of stuff I have to do, but I purposely set my mind to this. And I go, Jesus, I want to spend a few moments with you. And so I encourage you to come do that. So that's a good word. The second thing I want to bring your attention today is that Connect Groups kick off this Wednesday. Come on. Yeah, and uh, the cheers are loud, but there's a lot of you that are not signed up. And that's not condemnation. I'm just saying you got to participate with us. So we have four, four locations across the Salem-Kaiser area. I'd really encourage you to come participate. 7 to 8.30, if I remember correctly. So just participate. You can go on the Church Center app and look on there. We really would love for you to be a part, especially with the series we're kicking off today. But this is just an amazing opportunity for, A, for you to grow in relationship. How many people feel lonely? 
that you're all lying. Like, raise your hand if you feel, ever feel lonely. There we go. That's a little more honest. And the rest of you, I still think you're not in tune with yourself or something. I don't know. But I don't know about you, but sometimes this community is so good. And it's not like every time I'm just like, yeah, I get to go talk. Like, I don't always feel like that. It's like when I have counseling, I'm like, I don't want to go talk about myself. But I always walk away feeling better because it's an opportunity to express in dialogue. And, and God created us for community. So I really encourage you to participate in that. Say, that's a good word. All right, with that being said, we are stepping into week one of a series we are calling Love Where You Live. Turn your ear and say, love where you live. Look at them really seriously and say, do you actually love where you live? Or are you just... No? Okay, all right. I'm really excited for this series. Um, this has been a series that actually has been an idea without a title since early 2022. It's been a whole year. And so this has been something that has been thought about, prayed about, um, God stirred our hearts in. And I, I don't like really know how to put it into words how and like how much I anticipate the series, like of the series. Like I, I just want to see what God's going to do in our, heart, in our hearts as a community. And with that being said, I'll be honest, the last couple of days I started having these, these ideas of doubt in my own heart, especially, but even of our community going, is this just going to be a sermon series of talk? And what I mean by that, because you have no idea what we're going to be talking about other than this random title I gave you, is that is this actually going to be something that we let change our hearts or not? And I was asking that of myself because I don't know about you, but I can walk the walk and I can talk the talk. But is this actually going to be something that impacts who I am and forever changes the course of my life? And so I want to set that precedent from the beginning this morning because I want to invite you on a, on a journey. When I say a series, we're not talking about the typical three to eight week RLC series. We're talking about a five month long series, 19 weeks. And some of you are like, wait, what? I didn't sign up for this. Like, that, it's okay. It's okay. 19 weeks, five months long, and I'm, I'm excited. And the reason we're doing this is because we honestly believe in the power and the value of what you put time towards. And so we're putting a ton of time towards this topic of loving where you live. Now, with me telling you this up front, this is not giving you the, 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 um, the ability to go, well, since we're talking about it for 19 weeks, I'll catch at least a couple of the messages. I don't have to come to church every week. No, that's not what I'm saying. If we're putting that much time towards it, it's actually because we have to go that deep. We have to take that much work to let it instill and, and, and do a work in our heart. And so I'd really encourage you to be a part of this series, and I'm excited for it. Um, this week I was listening to um, a podcast, and the, this pastor, someone I respect, and they were talking about how as a country, there's a whole lot of things we need to start to do to see change. And I didn't disagree with anything. I actually think there's a lot of wisdom in what he said. But as I'm prepping for this message and letting God work on my heart for the series, I realized that what we're about to talk about in the next five months is like the one answer to every issue this nation is facing. Like I'm dead serious when I say that. Like the excitement that wells up in my heart when I think about the series and when I talk about this series, I go, God, like God can do something powerful if we let him. God can change the city of Salem if we let him. God can change your home if you let him. God can change your workplace if you let him through this series. So I'm excited about that. Um, and I think we have proof of how powerful this is because we're standing here 2,000 years later because a group of people love where they live with everything they had. Jesus and the disciples, I think we can get confused. They were nobody in Jerusalem and Rome. Rome, uh, Rome had over-occupied Jerusalem, which is over a different part of the world 2,000 years ago, and there was a lot of um, manipulation and wrong dominance and power. And these, these men, led by Jesus, Son of God, who were absolutely nobody, started on the fray of that area and started working towards Jerusalem. And next thing you know, this thing has taken root, taken fire. It survived persecution. It survived wars. It survived everything. And we're standing here today in a church because those people love where they live. 
And so I think there's testament enough just in that about how much this series is going to matter. So the title of my message today is, What Does Loving Where You Live Even Mean? What Does Loving Where You Live Even Mean? And I was talking to someone before service today. My goal is to literally not cause, I mean, to cause tension, I guess, but really just to cause you to reflect and ponder where you live right now. I recognize that I've been thinking about the series for a year, and so as I approach this message going, okay, so how do we get the, the, the community to jump on this bandwagon with us? How do we all jump in together? And so that's what I want to accomplish today. So would you pray with me really quick? God, we just come before you. God, the God that is so good, God, that we just praise God and, and sing about God, the God that we remember God in communion, and we just come before you, God, and we pray over the series right now. God, I pray for every heart and life in-house and online. God, I pray for every heart that's going to be at South Campus later today. God, I pray for every heart that's a part of this community that's not here. God, I pray that they would be a work that starts getting done in them. God, I pray that, that seeds would be planted today, God, through this series. God, I believe that this series is going to be something that could literally define this church for decades to come if we let it. God, and that's why we're putting almost a half a year towards it, God, because we recognize the power of it. And so we just, we just open our lives to you just right now in your own way and say, Jesus, I give you my heart through this series. I want you to speak through me. God, and we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. In 1869, a man by the name of Russell Conwell was traveling in the Middle East. While on his trip, he found himself on the back of a camel listening to his hired guide as they made their way to see the Euphrates and Tigris rivers. This guide was full of ancient stories, and on their first day down the river, the guide told Russell Conwell a story that made a massive impact on him. So much so that Russell Conwell would later share the story over 6,000 times throughout his lifetime, and now over a century later, the story has traveled the globe. The story is known as Acres of Diamonds, and it goes like this. There once was a man named Ali Hafed who lived by the Indus River in Asia. Mr. Hafed owned a large farm, and he was considered a very wealthy and happy man. Happy because he was wealthy and wealthy because he was content. But one day, a Buddhist priest, a wise man of the East, visited him and told him about the discovery of diamonds in Europe. He told him that the diamonds were so valuable that if Mr. Hafed had only one handful of them, he could purchase the entire country. If he had a mine of these diamonds, he could place his children upon thrones because of their great wealth. That night, Ali Hafed went to bed a poor man because his contentment was now evaporated. The next day, determined to seek the diamonds, he sold his farm and he departed. He traveled up and down all of Europe. He sought in every place where he had heard of any indication that diamonds might be, but he found absolutely none. Eventually, having spent all his money, he became very poor. He found himself in rags and poverty and hunger. And sadly, in despair, he flung himself into the sea and sank from sight, never to rise again. But later, back on the Indus River, the man who had bought Mr. Hafed's property one day was leading his camel out into the garden to drink. And as his animal got to the water, he put his nose down in the shallow brook. Ali Hafed's successor noticed a curious flash of light from the white sands of the stream. Reaching in, he pulled out a black stone which reflected all the hues of the rainbow. He decided to take that stone back to his house, display it on his mantle, and then he forgot all about it. A few days later, the same Buddhist priest that came and told Mr. Hafed about the diamonds in Europe came to visit his successor. As he entered the room, he saw a flash of light from the mantle, and he rushed over and shouted, Here's a diamond! Here's a diamond! Has Mr. Hafed returned? And the successor then told the priest that Ali Hafed had not returned, and he also said, That is not a diamond. That's nothing but a stone. We found it out, right out here in our garden. The priest responded and said, I know a diamond when I see one. So they both rushed to the river, and they stirred up the white sand, and they found even more diamonds valuable than the first. And at that point in the story, the guide stopped 
And he told Russell Conwell, here was discovered the great mines of Golconda, the most magnificent diamond mine in all of history of the world. Some of the greatest crown jewels on earth came from this mine. He then went on to say this, and this is what I want to catch this morning. If only Mr. Hafed would have remained home and dug in his own cellar or underneath his own wheat fields or in his own garden, he would have discovered acres of diamonds. Instead, he found himself in a foreign place, starving, poor, and resorted to taking his own life, all because he lost contentment, contentment with where he originally lived. Ali Hafed had traveled the world to find what he had already had the potential of all along. He just never looked for it. And I hope that sinks in today. Because I think many of us are on a journey of looking for the best life possible where we live. And I think a lot of times we can miss out on those things. And the reason I share this story is because the first time I heard it four years ago, it has stuck with me ever since. No joke, this story comes into my mind very often when I'm evaluating my life and the season I'm in. Whether it's a decision I have to make or something I'm dissatisfied with, I have to remind myself of this man who missed out on the acres of diamonds right underneath his own feet. The second reason I bring it up today is because I think the lesson it teaches each of, us, each of the listeners, each of us today, is extremely valuable. In matter of fact, I believe it's so valuable that there is no amount of money that can match the, the, the fullness and satisfaction of a person's life that chose to live by the lesson taught in this story. And that lesson is this. There are so many diamonds that people often miss out on right where they live right now because they have never sought after them, worked for them, or waited for them. And there will always be a temptation to leave in order to search for other so-called diamonds that they do not think they can find where they currently live. That's a lesson that we need to take to heart today. Now, obviously, when we talk about these diamonds, they could, it really depends on the listener's imagination for what they represent, right? They're, it's a metaphor. And so um, for if you're like, mine's limited, you might be hearing the story, you might go, okay, diamonds, these represent literal financial opportunities right where I live, which in all rights and purposes, they totally could. In another situation, if you're in a specific season and your marriage is on the rocks or, or you're in a relationship and you hear this, you might go, okay, the acres of diamonds represent a better marriage or a better relationship or a better situation, okay? But for today's purpose, when I hear about this, story, typically the thing that diamonds represent are this, the potential riches of a life blessed by God that affects you, but not only you, those around you. The potential riches of a life that, that, that's blessed by God, king of the earth, the creator of this planet, that, that affects you and those around you. And by riches, I don't just mean material wealth. I'm talking about emotional, relational, spiritual, and mental wealth. The diamonds I see in this, this story describe what I think people, like Christian, atheist, conservative, liberal, any person that you want to label with whatever, I think all those people would deem as the best life possible. They describe a life where peace and joy and security reside constantly in someone's heart and mind. They describe a, a life where a person does not live alone or feel alone, but has close community with those around them. They describe a person who knows and lives by their purpose, and because of that, has utmost contentment even if life is difficult. They describe a soul that looks good and feels good, even if their outside circumstances don't. They describe a life that overflows with so much satisfaction and excess in every form of the word that it impacts not only the person living that life, but actually all those that come into contact with that person. And these diamonds, I think, are accessible to almost any person in any circumstance if they are willing to look for them. Now, I realize that in saying this, and I already might have some of you, like, arguing with me, this, may, this life I'm describing might, be, like, might seem too good to be true. I think many of us over the years since we were kids, like, have, have thought about the dreams and the acres of diamonds that could be. And so we've spent our life looking for these acres of diamonds. And over time, unfortunately, the skeptical worldview that has been developed in us because we have put our faith in ideas and things that have failed us, we now doubt that there actually could be something better right where we are. 
We want to believe that there is, but it seems no matter how hard we believe that, seek after it, or have an optimistic view for it, we never find it. And so, look, and, and after a while, I think all of us fall prey to the narrative, the cultural narrative, that the better life we are looking for is everywhere but where we currently are. We adopt the cultural narrative that the grass is greener and better somewhere else. We convince ourselves, if only I, I could move to a different state, if only I had a different job, if only I had more money, if only our country could figure it out and fix this. And one of the biggest reasons I think we do this is because it gives us hope that despite our current reality, not living up to expectations, eventually it will get better. And so I think many of us right now are living in the state of eventually. Eventually, I will have more money and be satisfied. That's the thing I'm missing. Eventually, I'll have more time and I will, I will make up for all the lost time in this relationship and that relationship will get better. My marriage is rough right now, but I have to focus on this. Eventually, I'll get to it. Eventually, our country, in a couple years, when we reelect, we'll have a different leader and things will get better. And sadly, I think many of us come to the realization at some point or another that eventually came and nothing changed. But at the time, the idea comforts us as we avoid dealing with the place we live right now. Eugene Peterson said this, fan clubs encourage secondhand living. And because this was first published in 1983 and a lot has changed, like just let alone the, the smartphone, I would adjust this first sentence to say this, the way our modern technology driven society functions, advertises, and depends on social media encourages secondhand living. Through pictures and memorabilia, through Instagram and be real, autographs and tourist visits, we associate with someone whose life we think more exciting and glamorous than our own. We find diversion from our own humdrum existence by riding on the coattails of someone exotic. We do it because we are convinced that we are plain and we are ordinary. The town or city that we live in, Salem, Kaiser, the neighborhood we grew up in West Salem, East Salem, South Salem, the friends we are stuck with, the families or marriages that we have all seem undramatic. We see no way to be significant in such settings with such associations, so we surround ourselves with evidence of someone who is. We jump on Instagram and go, my day is horrible, let's go see what my favorite person's doing. We stock our fantasies with images of a person who is, who is living more adventurously than we are. And we have enterprising people around who provide us for free, of course, with the material to fuel the fires of this vicarious living. There's something so sad and pitiful about the whole business, but it, it flourishes nonetheless. And due to this, I think sadly, many of us, very few people ever, ever experience in their lifetime going all in. All in on one place, all in on one spouse, on one family, on one career, on one city, on one church, on one community, on one habit, on one talent, on one friendship. It's why sports nowadays, it's like players just like leave their team because they want a championship. There's no, there's no heartbeat in saying. It's why everyone in Portland loves Damian Lillard because he refuses to leave Portland. And so I think it, it starts from the top and bleeds down to the bottom. And so all of us go, man, if only I could get out of here, I could find something better. And I think we do this because we're afraid if we hitch ourselves to one thing now, then eventually something better may come along and we will have missed out on that opportunity. So rather than taking a risk, we coast by in this life dissatisfied. And as I thought about this, I started going, is this why so many people are moving from state to state? Is this why so many people never have deep and, and fulfilled commitments and relationships? Is this why people get divorced? Is this why so many marriages aren't even happening because people are refusing to get married because they're going, I could just date this person, live with this person, and if it doesn't work out, then I move on? It's because so many people don't go on. And again, I'm not knocking on, on those who have moved on. 
Obviously, like marriage is one thing, but if you've moved from state to state, that's not, it's not unbiblical. Actually, biblically, biblically, God does call Abraham to leave. There's, there's, there's times where God calls us to leave. My desire for us today with this question is to go, have we looked for every diamond available to us where we live? And do you, are you finding yourself dissatisfied right now? And, and it's because you are, are, are so focused on somewhere other than where you live. And so today, on the onset of this five-month journey we'll be taking, talking around this concept of loving where you live, I wanted to simply begin to re- reawaken the idea of what if in our hearts. What if? And oftentimes when we use this idea of what if, it's a negative. We, we go, we use that as an excuse. What if I do this and then this happens? Or, or, or we let it be a subconscious thing that causes worry in our mind that goes, what if my house burns, that burns down while I'm on vacation? Like it, it, it plagues our mind with negativity. But what if today we looked at what if as a good thing? What if, what if? What if we ask the question, what if the place where I live right now has more? Like seriously ask that question. What if we asked the question and said, God, is there more for the place I live? God, is there more for me where I live? What if I began to live in a way that said, I'm going all in. I want to find every diamond God has right here underneath my feet. What would happen to a group of people that sincerely did this? Again, like I called out a little bit ago, not just walking or not just talking the talk, but sincerely did this. And my hope in posing this question today is that our hearts begin to burn. And that dissatisfaction you may feel causes you to do something about it. Maybe the dissatisfaction you don't feel, now you feel dissatisfied. Good, because it's a godly dissatisfaction. And so the rest of the time today, I want to simply ask three questions for us to ponder. I'm not going to give a whole lot of answers today. That's why I want you to come back for the rest of the series. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But I want to ask these questions, and I encourage you to write these questions down on that little handout that's on your seat. Think about them this week. Put them in your car. Make a wallpaper on your phone. Whatever you have to do, ask them. First one this morning is, why do you live where you do? Why do you live where you do? I know that this question isn't groundbreaking, but honestly, take a moment today or later this week and assess, why do I live in Salem, Kaiser, and beyond? Dallas, beyond. Why, Why do I live here? Did I just grow up here and I never moved on? Did, did, did I, I move here because of a job opportunity? Did I move here to go to school and never left? Did, did I move here because it's where my spouse lived? And the most important question to probably ask is this, why haven't you left? Have you wanted to leave? What is keeping you here? See, I think oftentimes we're guilty of taking too much credit for our lives. Whether we want to call it and classify it as arrogance or not, oftentimes we confidently believe we are where we are at today because of decisions we made. Uh, recently in this last year, um, in 2022, someone came to our church for a couple months. They ended up moving and, and going away, but we stayed in contact. And while this person was here, I started to kind of hear about their life story and everything. And um, through conversation, they ended up revealing to me that they just really, really felt like their life was falling apart. Recently, they had lost a job and career that they thought they were going to be going into for a long time. They moved back home from a different state to here. And they just felt like so much was upside down. And as they were reflecting on this, they got so stuck on the fact that if they had made different decisions, they would have ended up somewhere else. And I don't disagree with that, but we were talking, and I just kept reminding them, like, no, like, it's okay. Like, God's got a plan. And, and they, they were just so focused on if they would have made different decisions, they would have ended up somewhere else. And in saying this, I don't disagree with the idea that your decisions play a direct outcome on where you end up. But I, I balance that reality in my own life by reminding myself that I serve a sovereign God that writes my story, even in the midst of my free will. And so I kept reminding this person, yes, you may have made decisions that landed you right here, but I believe God allowed you to be here, and I believe God has a plan going forward, but you have to step into it. 
And the reason I'm sharing with this with you today is because what if in your current reality you've taken too much credit for where you are at right now? The good or the bad? What if you were so convinced that you were in the area you're in due to your choice and if you had made different decisions that you would have ended up somewhere else? Yes, of course, your free will plays, uh, uh, plays a, cho- uh, uh, a part of this process, but what if God's plan for your life is that you ended up right here, right now? Do you ever live thinking that you were in Salem, Kaiser, Dallas, and beyond because God specifically wanted you here? Or do you think that, that, that you being here is just a product of how you dealt the cards of life? What would happen if you began to go, God, I believe you have me here on purpose? How would your life change if you were 100% convinced that anywhere other than here was the wrong place? That every dream, goal, spouse, kids, everything was right here. And if you left, you were going to miss out on it. What would happen if that's how you viewed where you live? Like just what if God who created you with so much intricacy said, I put this person, I put you here for a reason. What if he didn't allow you to get the first house you offered on so you'd end up on a different street in a different neighborhood? What if he allowed you to miss the first job opportunity you tried out for, you applied for, and had an interview for, and you didn't get it because he wanted you in a different job with a different coworker where you would end up raising up to a different level of leadership and you had no idea? What if the relationship you thought was going to be your spouse fell through so you would end up here? And now you're looking at a spouse or whatever the situation, your kids, and you're going, man, if I only would have done things different. And God said, no, I gave this to you for a reason. You're here for a reason. When we step back to look at our life through this lens, it broadens our understanding and it gives purpose to the good and the bad. And I felt so strongly that as I approached this sermon, I I wanted everyone to walk out of here going, I was placed in Salem at this time for this reason. I don't care if you're seeking to leave. I don't care if you're dissatisfied with your job, with your family, with your neighborhood, your house, your style of living. I do not care. God knew you would end up right here and I want you to walk out of this place knowing it. One of my favorite chunks of scripture is found in the book of Deuteronomy. And the context of the scripture is Moses, the leader of Israel, is basically going to stop being the leader of Israel. And he's giving the, the nation of Israel um, some, some, the, some advice for the next season. And in the chapter, he says this, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land filled with brooks, streams, deep springs, gushing out into valleys and hills. And he goes on, he starts listing all this stuff. And then he goes, When you have settled, when you've eaten, when you're satisfied, do not forget the Lord. And in verse 17, he said, or verse 14, he he again goes, do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. 17, he says, you may say to yourself, if you do forget my power and strength, my hands have produced this wealth for me. And I love this passage of scripture because it reminds me, I end up where I'm at because God put me there. That's what Moses is trying to tell these Israelites. You didn't, you didn't, does not matter your actions. You were slaves in Egypt. You ended up here because God had a plan and will for your life. And the same thing applies to all of us. You ended up where you are at because God placed you here. And in the beginning of 2023, what if this heartbeat captured this community? What if instead of waking up each day going, oh, I have to do this, you're going, no, God placed me here, I have to do this. This week as I was doing my devotions, I'm starting my master's, I'm trying not to make my whole life about it, but I'm not going to lie, I told Jesse and Sasha in the office this week, I'm screaming inside like a little girl because I'm just like, why did I choose to do this? Like, this is just so foolish, like so much work. And I was reading and I noticed that uh, it was talking about Stephen and Acts and it said that Stephen, he was doing all these amazing things and then opposition arose. And I felt like God put on my heart, greatness equals opposition. You cannot have a great life without opposition. So rather than seeking to have zero opposition, what if we went to life going, no, opposition's coming, it's because I'm living a great life and nothing's gonna stand in the way of my purpose today. And I think rather than spending time thinking about what could be somewhere else, we need to start thinking about what could be right here. 
in this church, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your job, stop fantasizing about a greater tomorrow. And that's so countercultural because we're always going, oh, dream big. No, stop. Start focusing on right here, right now. The second question I want us to ponder this week is how do you feel about where you live? And I don't just mean the street you live on or the color of your house. I'm talking about the cultural environment that we find ourselves in. And I realized in asking this question, and I'm hoping that we ask it at Connect Groups this week, is that we could be having an avalanche of all sorts of negative opinions about the state of Oregon and our nation. That's totally fine. Like, if you spent any time in the Bible reading David's prayers to God or Jesus' interaction with the disciples, you know that God is not opposed to any sort of raw human emotion. He wants you to figure out how to take it and use it. So honestly, how do you feel about where you live? In a more zoomed out view, are you frustrated by the political climate? Are you frustrated by the laws being passed? Are you frustrated by the opinions that dominate culture? Are you frustrated by the temperament and condition of this city? In a more zoomed in view, are you frustrated with where you work? Does the temperament of your job make you not like working there? Are you frustrated with your kid's school? Are you frustrated with the temperament of your home? When was the last time you thanked God for where you lived? When was the last time you thanked him for the job you work, the street you live on, the school your kids go to? Do you feel like you can thank him for those things? And I asked this question this morning because I think it's wise to understand and know your feelings about something. God didn't create you with feelings to ignore them, but to process them. And sometimes I think we're guilty of submerging or ignoring our feelings. But that just causes us to live in a false state of reality. And the one thing I love about God and the person of Jesus is that they never ignore reality. They may speak beyond it, but they never ignore reality. John 16, Jesus goes, in this world you have trouble. He just paints it plain and clear. That's the reality. But then take heart, I've overcome the world. He accepts it, and then he speaks beyond it. I love, there's so many stories, but in 2 Kings, there's a story about this prophet Elijah, and his servant runs in, he's like, Elisha, Elisha, the city's surrounded by this army, and Elisha walks out, he's like, it's fine, like God opened his eyes so he can see. And then there's like, there's a whole, around that army is a whole army of angels, and Elisha had eyes to see it. He saw reality, but he saw beyond it. And, and, and what would happen if we started to see this way? And this is why this question is so important, because you can't honestly love where you live unless you honestly know how, how you feel about where you live. One of the greatest truths you need to accept going into the series is that you don't have to like everything about a place to love it. You can look at something despite its brokenness and love it. And we actually see Jesus model this with perfection for us in Luke 19. It says this, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, have, if you even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, without any context, this passage is like, it's, it's powerful, but it's not as powerful. But, but these, these verses in Luke 19 are not random. Luke, the author, actually sandwiches them between two big events. Jesus has just rode into Jerusalem in Passion Week, the final week of his life on earth. And so right as he rides into the city, he, this is what Luke records. And then after this, you see all the events of Jesus being captured, tortured, beaten, whipped, spit on, and then, and then crucified. But right in the middle of it, you catch these few small verses of his reaction to the city where he was about to die. And I think we need to take his reaction to heart. It says he wept over it. In our 21st century, maybe, maybe you think context, like you may think like his eyes watered. No, like this Greek word talks about to wail and to howl, to, be, to express uncontainable grief. He was weeping. Like when you just are out of control and you can't breathe, you know what I'm talking about? Your kid's like, and you're just trying to like comfort them. Like this is like Jesus was weeping. 
And so my question is, how could Jesus respond to a city like this, like this? From my viewpoint, there is very little Jesus could like, let alone love about this city. This city was soon going to betray him for a robber murderer named Barabbas. The city was contained with individual, individuals who would whip him, spit on him, shove a crown of thorns in his head, and crucify him. And he looked at the city and he cried over it. This was a city with leaders who had fallen so far from God that they were actually bending the truth and pulling people away from God's presence. The very mission Jesus came to fix. Jesus didn't respond this way to the city because he liked everything about it. He responded this way because he loved the people despite their brokenness. And this love led him to action. And that love changed the world. It's why we're standing here today. Because this love encapsulated 12 followers and beyond. And it lit fire. It's that love that in Matthew 5, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Love your enemies. It's with that love that the message of Jesus has impacted people and societies for centuries. And it's, and centuries. And it's with that love that he calls every person who calls him Lord and Savior to walk out their life with in all times, at all places. And this revelation is so powerful because if you're anything like me, sometimes I can be satisfied with where I live because I don't like everything about it. But that doesn't stop me from loving it the way Jesus loves. So my final question today, and I want this one to hit. What would happen if you love where you live? Honestly, what would happen if you love where you live? Yeah, sure, as Oregonians, we may love the scenery and air quality of Oregon, right? We may love the hobbies that we get to do. But I'm, I'm not talking about the geographic location. I'm talking about what would happen if Jesus got a hold of your heart and your reaction to where you live reflected the, the reaction Jesus had for the city of Jerusalem? What would happen in your marriage, in your kids' lives, in your neighborhood, your job, your gym, the city? What would happen over the course of five months if we all said, I'm going in. My neighbor's going in on it. The person sitting next to me in this row is going in on it. I'm going in on it, and I'm going to figure out how to love where I live. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to go with a different purpose. I may fail. I may fall. I'm human, but I'm going to love where I live. How would this change our community? Seriously, this is so much talk, but just imagine, this is where I get so excited and the, and, and, and the anticipation wells up inside of me. Because I go, what would happen if we actually just stopped walking out of church, forgetting the sermon and went, no, I'm gonna love where I live. What would happen? Like seriously, it does not, I just, if you read the context of back then, Jesus had zero power. He was nobody, he was a carpenter, but he started lighting a fire and that fire has gone for years. Like, there's no political change that could happen that could, that could impact the change what would happen in, in, in these seats right now and in, in the neighborhoods and homes of, the, of our city. What would happen if we saw something we didn't like and our first, first reaction was, what would someone who loves, what, what would someone who loves do? What would, what would someone who loves say? What would someone who loves, how would they respond? What would happen? And I'm not talking about a self-serving love but a people-serving love. A couple weeks ago, I was reading a book by, by Tyler Staten. He was talking about how oftentimes um, we pray for others in a selfish way. We go, God, would you please, um, would, you God, would, you, would you please save this person? And that's a good prayer on the surface. But what we do is we disguise that prayer. And really what it's doing is it's disguising our motive for we want them to be saved so we're more comfortable. We don't have to go to work with that person and have to hear their political opinion. We want them to get saved so they just agree with us. And that was so convicting to me. Because, like, how many times are I walking around like, dude, if everyone just loved Jesus, life would be so much better. Like, it's not about them. It's about me. My life would be better. Jesus had no, like, benefit in dying on the cross. 
Like he gets relationship with us, he fixed that, so that's the benefit. But, but really, like there was so much suffering, it was, it was a completely people-serving love, not self-serving. So what would happen if the love that defined where you live was the love that said, I want people to experience the best God has for them in this life? And what if that's the diamond that you actually unearth in your own life? is that you, you've been so long trying to self-serve your life by finding diamonds for you, but actually as you love other people, you end up finding diamonds for them and then that diamond impacts your life. So in closing today, this is more than a series. I believe that if we get a hold of this and this becomes a part of our DNA, this is going to cause a harvest for decades to come. And I don't know how long you plan to be a part of this church, but as of right now, I plan to be here until God takes me away or until I die. And I just go, if we could grasp this in 2023, what unknown things are in front of us? Because God goes, man, there's a church that loves where they live. I'm gonna just continue to pour out blessing and provision, more people, more opportunities, hard things, right? Like the hard things to steward, like opportunities that, 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 that will be difficult to steward. But what if we love where we live so much that we're like, I'm willing to pay the cost. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to serve a little bit more. I'm, will, I'm willing to, to go a little bit harder. I'm willing to wake up a little bit earlier, stay up a little bit later. I'm willing to open my home and things break so people could come be a part of my life so I could share life with them. What if we went all in? But it's going to require each of us to actually commit to it. So what are next steps for these questions? For, 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 for this deep question, what if? What, what are the next steps? Number one, show up each week. Super simple, but show up each week. I believe in order for God to do a hard work, we have to put in the work. In order, us, in order for us to see a change, we have to make a change. It's not enough to just ask hard questions and talk to talk anymore. It's, 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 it's about digging down deep and having the conversations. And I'm so excited for this series because like in a couple, like in a month, PK and I are gonna team teach and we're gonna talk about the importance of, of, of how you having a, a safe spot to process how you feel about where you live is gonna do wonders for where you live. Because sometimes you just need a vent and be like, I'm so frustrated with this. But then as you do that, person brings correction. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna go into the, all the specifics. So be here. Seriously, be here. You have no better place to be other than here on Sunday morning. You're sleeping in or you're doing a chore. Honestly, just come. Just show up. I'm dead serious. Just show up. Number two, understand there are phases to love where you live. And this is where my, like, I just get so psyched, okay? Someone, I told someone this morning that the series is 19 weeks long, and they're like, wait, what? Like, I'm sorry, what? This is, this is where it breaks down. There's four phases to loving where you live, okay? Jesus tells his followers right before he leaves, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the, earth, ends of the earth. So depending on how you look on this, it actually gives us four phases on how to love where we live. Phase number one is personal transformation, and we made this beautiful graphic. Will you throw that graphic up there for me? That next slide. Personal transformation, phase one. So it starts with you. See, in this passage, he says, but you will receive power. See, Jesus knew before his disciples could go impact and love the world, they had to figure out how to, 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 to be changed themselves. So we need God to do a hard work in us. We can't expect the world to be better unless we are better. So we're gonna spend multiple weeks dialoguing how to have personal transformation in our life. That's what this series is gonna be about for the next couple weeks. Then phase number two, we're gonna talk about home transformation. This verse says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in the context of the disciples, Jerusalem was like the neighboring area, right where they were at. So just like our home, the people we live with, the most important people we, we, we live with, our closest context, we're gonna be talking about our home. We can't expect the world to figure it out if, our, if our, our house is out of order. 
You can't expect order everywhere else if you are disordered, if your kids are not in the right priority place, if you're not doing the right things. You can't expect society to be fixed if you're raising up people that are not benefiting society. The greatest place to fix it is at the home. Phase number three is circle transformation. The verse says in all Judea and all Samaria, which in the context of these disciples was the neighboring areas. So for us, where do you do life in neighboring areas? The gym, the job, like the school your kids go to, the sports team you go, like the hobbies you do, where you play. We're gonna talk about how, how do we allow people to into those circles? How do we love where we live when we're doing those things? God's not trying to ask you to become a monk and go pray and, and avoid the world. No, he wants you to go out into the world as you do life and love that place. And I think a lot of times we're guilty of thinking if just a big thing would change, if just a law would be passed or a new president, there is no political change that's gonna fix this neighborhood. There is zero political change. The only thing that will fix here is a small thing. And a lot of times we want just this one big fix that we can like wipe our hands clean and go, all right, we're good. No, it's planting small seeds that will fix for generations to come in the city of Salem and Kaiser in this area what, what life is like here. And number four is city transformation. The verse says to the ends of the earth. And we're making this to city, not the earth, because we realize our mission statement says connecting with God, relating to people, reaching our world, but we recognize we can't reach the world unless we can, we can fully reach our city. And so we don't have some grand scheme to roll out to you. I don't know, God could reveal a lot in five months. We, we have no idea. But we're gonna take a couple weeks talking about how to love our city and not just love it in some big like project way, although we're doing outflow right after the series ends. So that's a plug for outflow, five months in advance, come participate. But um, we're, we're gonna talk about how you can impact the city with like where you live specifically just you by yourself, how do you start planting a seed? That just my house, I'm gonna choose my house is gonna serve the Lord and that's gonna impact the city. And the last step today before we pray is grab that love where you live handout. And I know how many, how many people hate paper and you're like, I don't wanna take this home with me. Put it in your pocket right now, no excuse, no excuse. Put it in your pocket. You will each find one of these. I have mine and it's started to be filled out, but this is super important. We made a handout as a reminder as well as a little bit of a guide for you to process this journey. And so I'd encourage you to get one of these. And if you lose it or you don't have one, if you're online, um, email the church. We can send you the PDF version or whatever. But we'll have stacks of these in the lobby for the weeks to come. So you can just keep grabbing them if you lose it or whatever. But basically what, what you'll find in here is just a little sum up of the series as well as like today's message on the top. And then you're gonna find out or see this Mad Lib. And this Mad Lib, I wouldn't just rush to fill this out. I, as you can see, I've, I've only filled out part of it. It's because I wanna prayerfully fill out who's gonna be filled in these blanks. Where are they gonna be filled in these blanks? What are these things that, that, that I'm gonna do gonna be filled in these blanks? And this is basically how you will missionally live. It's a guide that you can wake up every day and say, I, Trenton Reich, am called by Jesus to love where I live. I believe God has created me uniquely to show love to the people of Salem Kaiser, my home on to whatever, I'm not gonna say that publicly, will be place of blank and blank. And my job is more than a paycheck, my school is more than a diploma, my retirement is more than leisure. There's a greater purpose to my life than the tasks I do. The place I occupy in my life are places of mission and worship. What if you woke up every day and read this? What would happen? What if like you walk in the office, like someone's like, you're in a good mood. I'm like, yeah, I just read my mission statement. Come at me. Like, I'm like, what, like, what would happen? Like, come on. So fill this out, prayerfully fill this out. And I love this commitment that says, I commit to not complain. Can you throw it up there on the slide? I actually have it up there. Um, I commit to not complain, sit on the sidelines, or wish I was somewhere else. Instead, I will pray, Jesus, may your kingdom come and will your will be done in Salem, Kaiser, Dallas, Almsville, beyond, wherever, as it is in heaven. And then on the back, here's just a couple reminders of ways to be missional, things to do. So I know I just covered a lot of information. Some of you are like, okay, I just want some food. That's fine. But I would encourage you to not, to just ignore this. I, I, I cannot, I just, this week, the doubt that started to fill my heart on Friday and Saturday and going like, is this just gonna be talk? I don't want it to be talk. I wanna see something change. I want the excuses in my life to stop. I'm like, I'm not doing this well. 
I don't walk into conversation. I walk into the grocery store. I'm on a mission. I do not care about the people in the store. I'm like, move out of my way. When I'm driving, I don't care. I'm like, just get out of my way. I'm going somewhere. Like, I want God to change my heart. I want to be slow in, in, in my movements. I want to be on mission, but I want to be slow. I want to be um, obs- um, observational of what's going on. I want to point people to Jesus. And I encourage you to join on that journey with me. So let's pray. God, we just thank you today for this powerful idea. God, and I pray that seeds would be planted in hearts. God, for those online watching, God, those um, who will review this later, God, or those who will watch this later, God, I pray that there be such a Holy Spirit conviction in their heart and their life. God, I pray that this would change 2023, that a part of our DNA would be loving where we live. God, we just thank you for it. God, I stand up here today, and I may sound rehearsed in this message, but I am so far from doing this. All these tension points that I'm asking are tension points I have to deal with. Why do I live where I do? How do I feel about where I live? Does that feeling overcome the love that I should have for where I live? And what would happen if I put my feet in the ground, uh, ground, if I drew a line in the sand and said, I'm loving where I live, what would happen? God, and we just thank you. God, I pray right now, God, that there would be such a harvest. God, in this year, God, in the years to come because of this message, that it would just, that it would just like, just occupy our hearts. God, it would change who we are. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thanks for coming to church today. We will see you in the weeks to come. Have an amazing week. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.